Verse by verse, note by note, song by song, I thank you. And hello out there, ladies and gentlemen. Well, today is the continuation of the astounding Bible revelation of the universe. And this is part eight. So we're moving along, and there's a lot more to cover. And we'll cover as much as we can. We won't have a lot of time to do the... Um, specialty that I've been uh, introducing uh, at the forefront of our teachings on the uh, regeneration of, of aging. Uh, but I'll touch on it just a little teeny bit when I talk about the God spot and uh, when I talk about uh, associated things to that. So, <clears throat> yes, there is a God spot in your brain that when triggered can set free a power of thinking beyond what humankind has ever, ever imagined. As your mind moves up Jacob's ladder lattice to advanced spiritual and physical thinking, keep in mind God has set rules. One such important rule is your thoughts and your brain belong first to God and by God, your thoughts and brains belong also to the whole wide world. The manifester and destinata know the sacred unknowns, and their thirty, sixty, hundredfold mysteries. And we believe that at this time, things of revelation are on a verge of being made known across the face of the world. In the Bible, in Psalms 19 and Romans 10, is a description of an intervening line and sound called by the Holy Manifest, the Soundtron, S-O-U-N-D-T-R-O-N. The Soundtron is an agency for, God, for God's knowledge of the, 
of the no knows all sees all kind. <laughs> yeah, an agency for the the God knowledge of the knows all sees all kind, the all seeing eye. There is a way that the Holy Spirit can work in a mortal to open a medium of mind space so vast that nothing can hide truth and knowledge from Soundtron vision. The whole universe and all its works and all its mysteries is subject to surrendering its all of all to the Soundtron vision. In the star rise of my mind, I have from time to time experienced the Holy Spirit as it revealed Soundtron vision. You know, some time ago, they discovered a boulder rock. It's a rock that's so big they call it a boulder, but it is still called a rock. And this was in North Carolina, USA. And they called that rock the Judicola Rock. J-U-D-A-C-U-L-L-A, rock. And it has inscriptions and petroglyphics that's so far the best of the best language code breakers have not been able to solve. This rock does strange, strange things. When light or, or heat touch it, the inspirations seem to move. I should have said the inscriptions. The inscriptions seem to move. And even sometimes by moon or starlight in the evening, Strange energy seems to be conducted. <clears throat> the age of these writings and the rock predate the Cherokee Indians, the furthest back in time settlers of the area. But I believe I could translate those writings if there was something on those writings that was meant to be known. Scientists are making great stride and great advancing. They have recently stored a 300-page book of DNA. A 300-page book in DNA, 53,000 words, 11 images, including a software program. This is the largest amount of information stored artificially using genetic material. Just think about yourself and all the, G the DNA that you have in your body, and all of the messages, and all of the knowledge. Oh, if you were only set free to understand all that the brain has the potential to know, and all that, the, that your genetic capabilities has the ability to reveal. Wow. And yet for all of that, we only know, it is said, approximately 5% knowledge about the universe. 95% of the universe is considered to be dark energy and dark matter, and the scientists just don't know what, what those, those are. The Milky Way we live in is a galaxy, and that 5% goes for the Milky Way too. We only know 5%. And our neighbor galaxy, M31, Andromeda Galaxy, 
which is 9 million light years away from our solar system, is no doubt also shrouded in mental darkness. It is said that only 5% of the universe has been understood and surmised. There are, or I should say, these are its less deeper stages of reality that have been read by humankind. They've only scratched the surface, just scratched it. It is said that only 5% of the oceans and the seas of the earth world have been studied for understanding. Now I want you to put a weight on this one because I'm going to get into a subject later connected to the seas and the waters. And so let's get this. The whole universe, our galaxy also, at the best, it is only understood by about by about 5%. The oceans, the seas of the earth world have only been studied, decoded for understanding 5%. And Paul the Apostle said, For now we look through a glass darkly. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is in part is done away with, then perfection will come. I used to think that perhaps, perhaps that the part to be done away with might amount to 50%. But now I have experienced insights to believe the amount to be done away with is more like 95%, allowing us only 5% of actual insight. Something about that 5% that's got a strong hand and isn't ever a strong hand on the side of not knowing, but a weak hand on the side of knowing. There's a lot going on in science, and I found this interesting. This is fairly recent, very recent. Using a new technique called gravitational lensing, along with mathematical sizing of the radio wavelengths, Astronomers have discovered an event of, of water jetting up from a supermassive black hole. Can you imagine that? And they estimate that this black hole dates back when the universe was only 2 point billion years old. Now they are looking at a black hole and they are seeing water jet up out of it. And they can tell by their mathematical gauging, astro astronomically, not in the sense of the largeness of things, but in the sense of the specific astronomy of things. They can tell that this happened when the universe was only 2.5 billion years old. Well, there, there is something going on out there in the vast deepness of space. And what that incredible thing is, is that every moment, every day that is passing by, there are new views coming into 
perspective that can now be sensed by these incredible new kind of telescopes that are available to, to the humans. And they are able to see things that just wasn't, wasn't able to be seen because they are traveling at the speed of light and eventually, even though it's such a vast difference that it takes multiple, multiple, multiple years, it does eventually get within the spectrum sighting of these new telescopes. And so, the radiation of that particular event we're talking about has taken 11.1 billion years to reach the Earth. And they are just now being able to see this incredible black hole with this jet of water streaming up out of it. They say, well, how can they know that, that it, you know, it is water? Well, because they have now discovered a new way through the spectrums to tell if there is water on a planet or water anywhere in the space of the universe that is within the reach of the system of that new spectrum uh, mythology. And so they're able to actually see for sure, yes, that is water. Water coming out of this black hole? How can that be possible? Not even light is supposed to be able to escape. Well, <laughs> at different times, there are different rules that apply. And so as I've told you in the past, that the black hole is not what scientists has always thought it was. That there is energy going in and there is energy going out. And I even took you on a trip in a spirit kind of way through a black hole. And what an interesting journey that was. You that were on that trip and that remember it. So it has taken 11.1 billion years to reach the earth. Wow. Math mathematicians calculating universal expansion via inflation estimate the galaxy in which the water was detected is about 19.8 billion years away. 19.8 billion years away. Whoa. Also, using, using the maser over a period of time, method to detect water, the above said scenario continues to shed the same story. In other words, when they use this new instrument, this new spectrum, the maser, they discover that what they see and record the next day when they look at it is still the same. And the next day is still the same. So they are getting multiple verifications that their technique is a precision that is giving the same answer precisely of this information again and again. Very, very interesting. You know, Water has a memory, 
And there is so much about water. It is, um, it, it is interesting. It's just very, very interesting. I want to read you a story in the book of Ezekiel. And we have to go almost to the back of the, <laughs> of the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47. And this is quite a prophecy. But there's something in this prophecy that I believe is for you and I today. And for the world. It's a, it's, it's a story that's important. Chapter 47 of Ezekiel, verse 1. Afterwards, he brought me again into the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under, from the right side of the house to the south side of the altar. And he brought me out of the way of the gate northward, northward and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way he that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran waters on the right side. Now east, of course, is the resurrection direction that the sun is symbolic of. And when you talk about things, you know, like this scripture does, about the waters coming out of the house. This is talking about the house of God, the holy place. And when you, you talk about these, these, these waters, uh, you know, running in uh, uh, forefront to the house and, and, and that they, they, are, they are moving toward the, the ultimate or what's called the utter gate. Uh, there's something about that that I believe that the people who are listening to this broadcast are, are involved in. Uh, I think you have come to a moment in your life, to a destiny. It's not an accident that you are listening to these broadcasts, that these broadcasts are turning you on, are touching you, because there's something about the angel of your inner presence, the who you really are, and the who you once, were, once were, and of what of what the Bible says, one day we shall be known as we were known. And as you feed yourself with the nutrients of this spiritual uh, glory and these spiritual attributes, there is something growing in you, touching you, inspiring you, and transforming you. And it's like you have come to the utter gate. You know, people are tired. They're weary of fooling around with the playgate. The playgate has been out there in the church world for the eons and generations of time. And people have finally gotten fed up with a reiteration of third grade. They want to go on to perfection, laying aside the principles of the foundations of of the word of the gospel, not destroying them, not eradicating them, but laying them aside uh, so that the next movement can happen and one prophecy can follow another one by giving the sequence proper uh, distance of, of, of white silence so that the next step, the next revelation, the next glory can come in. Wow, it's exciting. And so here we are today at the utter gate and it is a beautiful moment and a beautiful time.
And so it goes on. And uh, I may have to skip a little bit just to, you know, for the time. He measures the waters. In verse 3, with a line in his hand, and when we think of, of the Psalms 19, where it talks about a line went out into, throughout all the universe. And there was no place in the universe that that line did not touch. Here is another line going out. And it has the capability to measure the waters. And there is so much reality and so much enfoldment in the understanding of these waters. And as I said, waters have memory. And this would shock a lot of people. Atoms have memory. There is much more going on beneath our feet and above our feet than we would ever possibly realize except that the Spirit made it known. Praise the name of the living God. Praise the name of the living God. And so finally here in verse 3, it says they measured a thousand cubits and he brought me through the waters, and they were to the ankles. This is the foundation revelation. And he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters, and then he measured, and uh, they were up to the loins. And afterwards he measured another thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over. For the waters were, uh, were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. And he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now someone say, well, the brink, they don't mean that. They mean, don't they mean the bank or the edge of the river? I know there's some people that do interpret it that way. But I really like this word brink. <laughs> like the brink of time. The brink of a moment. The brink of, of a changeover from one kind of thinking, from one kind of insight to another kind of thinking, to another kind of insight. It's, it, it, it passes from that brink of the past as you get close to the utter gate. And then you go a thousand. And the thousand, by the way, is the number of Christ. Then you go and you guess you're thirtyfold. Then you go another thirty. Uh, and, and, and that is another thousand. And that's a 60-fold. And you go another 30-fold, and that's another 30. So you have 3,000. You have, you have the 100-fold. So you've got the 30, 60, 100-fold represented in these three Christ-numbered episodes. And it is so absolutely beautiful. Now, let's go on here. We're, we're getting there. Now when, verse 7, I returned, behold, the bank of the river, there were very many trees on the one side and the other. And he said unto me, These waters issue out toward the east country, and they go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. Now there's a sea, and there's waters there, but they need to be healed. And what is it talking about? Well, what it's talking about when you follow the, the geographics of this. 
is it's talking about these waters are coming out from the temple and they're going to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea has so much salt in it that it's almost toxic. And hardly anything can live around it, much less in it. And interestingly, God said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, well, then it's worthless. When you just have this salt within the body of the sea, within the body of yourself, and it, it just becomes stagnant because there's, there's no release uh, of that salt to flavor the earth, to flavor the other people of the world, to reach out with the love of God, to reach out with the blessings of God, to reach out for, with hope, to extend that hope to, to the sick, to the despairing, to the depressed, to the lonely, to those who are dying and need just someone to touch them. When you get past the utter gate, ladies and gentlemen, and you pass through the 30-fold, and you pass through the 60-fold, and you pass through the 100-fold, it's a new, new experience. Suddenly, these streams of waters issuing from the temple house have the power to heal. And it says here, it says in verse 8, at the bottom part, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth which moveth, whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, and they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the rivers come. I think that is a beautiful scripture. And I think that applies. And I think that that ties in, it, it is a prophecy about the Dead Sea. It's a prophecy. And, and they are finding things. They are finding things, archaeologically speaking. They, they discovered these jugs, and they were all spherical. And as they begin to uh, mathematically uh, accounting for this, this spherical shape, uh, they begin to understand that when these jugs were done, that a, a collection of them would have a message mathematically. In the enzyme, in the geometrical design of these jugs, there are messages that humankind has tried to inscribe, has tried to leave as a an imprint to not be lost for forward coming generations. Because man going back into ancient times has wanted to pass on the message that they learned, the secrets that they discovered, because they knew that the world was a place of habitation in which the masses of the people were far, far, far distanced from those incredible revelations. But they reached out with the flavor of their salt, trying to do what they could to leave a message. Wow. We're trying to leave a message with this word as we minister it. 
we're trying to to show how important it is to be a cognizant and aware of the things of God and that that being those things which are spiritual and that being those things which by God's revelation reveal physical things. As humans begin to grasp <clears throat> the wide bands of the void called ignorance. An ignorance that carries the state of the humans in their present level of knowledge. And as this begins to be realized, it is nothing less than shocking. It makes me want to pray. It makes me want to plead. Oh God, loosen the bindings of the human mind and set free the mortal that the whole truth and nothing but the whole truth may be known. Wow. We talked about dark energy several times now. and There's so much to be taught and said about it. We mentioned it today. How that 95% of the universe is dark energy and dark matter that scientists admit they do not know what this dark energy and dark matter is for sure. It's unknown to humankind. However, I, the Holy Manifest, Holy Manifester, and, and when I say holy, don't get the wrong idea. Don't put me into some uh, echelon of perfection. Because remember, there was a day in the, under the Levitical order when they would pray and make a, a cow, a regular old cow, eating regular old grass out on the pasture and make him holy so that he could be made an offering to the altar. So, Understanding that kind of holiness and understanding that God revealed to me the Holy Manifest. And the Holy Manifest speaks about quotum revelation. Now take note, quotum is spelled Q-U-O-T-U-M. Not quantum that you hear so much about in the space universal world, but quotum. The quotum speaks about Ohm law, spelled O-M law, not the spelling of ohms referring to electricity. In the plural of one, the manifest reveals this Ohm law that says, there is a constant inverted gravity effect, or as it may be said, a constant repulsion effect by a high-density field of pure energy exerted by the presence of the first domain, which is the heaven of heavens. And this exertion of, of presence is exerted upon all universal matter, energy, and space. This effect is constantly occurring in the inverted atomic realm, but affects the curves, not curves, C-U-R-V-E-S, but curves, Q-R-U-V-E-S, curves of space, a manifester word. The curves of all 
universal space. It's called curves because these curves intermediate and interchange between convolution and involution. And therefore they're called curves. And so as we go on with this word of this ohm uh, of the plural law, it goes on to say that these curves, as it functions in the vacuum mold of its setting in the field of the universe that does exist, has effects and has been having effects and effects on the universe since the beginning of time. And mankind has not understood it nor known it. As regards dark energy and dark matter, dark energy turns on the ability of the universal happenings to transform the elements of one set into unique elements of another set. In mathematics, this regards a subject called mapping. Mapping operates from a vector designation into a scalar sine and cosine that can describe how nature can branch out to many different forms. If you want to see a couple scriptures, if you haven't written them down from my, my um, presentations before, look up Psalms 18.11 as to dark energy. As to dark matter, look up saw, uh, Isaiah, look up Isaiah 40, 21 through 22. So in the contextualities and revelations of the Holy Manifest, as it speaks about the quotum, there are such writings that say things like, when the electrophimatic waves of the soundtron, when the amtricity waves of the soundtron are triggered or strummed, they release productions. These productions have an exact opposite effect of the natural wave fronts and actions that occur in the propagations of regular space, energy, matter, etc. It is important to understand this because amtristic wave relates to spirit energy and the electrovibmatic wave relates to physical energy. So when we are looking at the differentiations of this, we are seeing that even though this is a revelation of the Holy Manifest, that the electrovibmatic waves are occurring in the physical realm as nature, even though every aspect of them is not just regular nature. But the amtristic wave is something that relates to spirit energy but nevertheless has an effect upon the physical realm. So much for that.
Now, Mars. Here's something interesting. Since 1992, they created the name of an organization, the Military Auxiliary Radio Systems. This was used and is still used by the United States Air Force and the United States Army. And when you take the first letter of that title, Military Auxiliary Radio System, you get an M-A-R-S, Mars. Yes, and they know exactly what they were doing. They chose the name of the planet Mars to be the descriptive insight to something very futuristic that they had plans about for the far of the future. It was involved in strategic defense, but it was also involved in the ongoing search of knowledge into the future. But as to the name, the military auxiliary, auxiliary radio systems, it is involved in a manual of communication that should there be a blackout caused by sun flares, which are called um, CMEs, which is the note abbreviation for coronal mass injection. And this is when a huge amount of massy electromagnetic energy is released as a sun flare from the sun and strikes the earth and affects the oceanic and atmospheric conditions of the earth. It's the result of sometimes gigantic x-ray fluxes. And they move into prominent archings and then eventually are burst in release and sent at near speed of light out into space and sometimes out toward the ocean of the earth or the earth land. Now, there's other things like atomic war and other kinds of things that could cause a breakdown in, in satellite and regular communication. And this thing called Mars, which is their cold name, and, and, and which stands for this military auxiliary radio systems, is interestingly revealing something about Mars. Now I have downloaded this manual and have read it and it is quite something and quite technical and something that people maybe should look into so that they have a way of communicating should one of these CMEs 
with a high class of, of energy release happen and knock out the electrical grids, telephone system, the internet, and the whole way that we communicate so that there was some way that people could continue to communicate. Wow. So Mars plays an important part. It's part of the Star Wars plan. There is a race. A race to the skies of Mars. China is making plans to land a man or men on Mars by 2040. The United States is making plans to land men on Mars by 2030. India next year, 2013, is planning on sending a rocket to orbit around <coughs> the planet with detecting cameras. All kinds of other nations, Japan, all kinds, UK, all kinds of other nations are interested in this planet Mars. Interesting enough, two astronauts, one of them by the name of Buzz, <laughs> I think it's Buzz Aldrin, were talking. And Buzz, because of his connection to a lot of strategical knowledge <coughs> of the U.S. military, is able to furnish quite a little bit of information. And he was saying to the other astronaut, and if I have these names right, because, you know, it's not something I pay a lot of attention to, uh, but I, I, for sure he was one of them, whether he's the receiver or the, the person putting out the information. I think I have it right, but it may be the opposite, but, you know, you get the point. And, the, and this was said, we know that, that the other astronaut wants to go back to Mars. And boy, was that ever picked up. And people say, what do you mean going back to Mars? You mean that maybe the military's had a secret operation in which it has actually sent an astronaut to Mars, and it's all been kept secret because of his high military strategic agenda. <coughs> and someone would say, oh, well, he, he meant back to the moon. But you know, that is really not the plan that the U.S. has. They've been there. They've done that. They're really not interested in going back to the moon, not at this time. They are far more interested in going to Mars. And someone with such knowledge and such experience it would seem odd for them to make such a slip, but then for sure that could happen. And I'm not going to put <coughs> a fingerprint on it to say it is absolutely the case or not the case. But in my uh, manifest teachings, I have revealed that the U.S. military is far ahead of all of the other nations of the earth. 
and they're so far ahead strategically, militarily, aeronautically, scientifically, and, and especially in astral knowledge, including flight, and especially in the creation of nanotechnology of incredibly small precision-made things. And I know there's people out there that thinks that the United States is going down the tube. And there's preachers out there preaching it and prophets supposedly preaching it. And I tell you today, they don't know nothing. They don't even know what they're talking about. They are totally ignorant of the act of the facts. <coughs> Blessed be the name of God. <coughs> God is king. God is Lord. And I thank God for his word and for his revelation. And there's so much more that I could reveal. I mean, I could tell you things that would cause your hair to almost stand up on your, your head. But I would think that some of you people should spend some time really going back to the blogs and reading those blogs. Because I have some incredible revelation in there. I've had people, several people just recently tell me that they went back and were reading some of the blogs and even though they read them before, they had totally missed some incredibly uh, important information that was given that just, just caused them to almost be, uh, you know, knocked off their feet. I'll tell you this. That those ideas about flying saucers that a lot of people are talking about, the majority by far are talking ignorantly because they do not know. They are just surmising and just guessing. So when I hear somebody telling me something about a flying saucer, about an experience, I know. I absolutely know. So I'm not going to get knocked off base by someone's story unless they're telling the story the way that it really is because I've already been re have, it, have it revealed to me in a, in a very deep um, way of precision. And, and there are these flying saucers out there which they call UFOs, which we call Ziths and Zams. The Zams are the bad guys. The Ziths are the, the good people. And, and there is a revelation there. There's the Ziths that the Seraphim fly. There's the Ziths that the Cherubim fly. And there's the Ziths that the sons of Enoch, who live at the Father's house, fly. And they all come here to the skies of the USA, and the skies of Canada, and the skies of all the nations of the world. And they use androids, and they use robots, and then they also do, for specific times and purposes, use actual entities of those of whom I named.
But there's another group flying up there, and they are very advanced beyond what anyone can imagine. Spacecraft created by the United States that they have had for a long, long time. And they have been able to keep it secret, more or less. I don't know. I wasn't really intending to throw that subject in. And we talked about what the Bible says. We've mentioned this a couple times. About the beginning for life in this universe was, was dug out of a black hole pit. Isaiah 51.1. We said last week about there being 19 black holes in our Milky Way. We talked the week before that about the end of the universe and the father of the black holes eating up all the black holes until it finally uh, ends up in a scroll of density, uh, the universe I'm referring to. But then there comes a time when the scroll of the universe will be unrolled from that density and it will be stretched out as many of the scriptures of the Bible say and it will unfurl a crystal lattice network as the Bible says, and Jesus said, that the kingdom of, of heaven is likened to a lattice. And likened to a net, meaning lattice. Oh, we've got to move on here. I've got some, imp- i really got some important stuff. <laughs> Most important stuff. That, yeah, I've just got to get this, this out. I've got to get into this. This is so important. Okay, we mentioned about the planets that they're mentioned in the Bible. 2 Kings 23.5 speaks about the kings of Judah who burned incense to the high places of the cities of Judah unto Baal. That's B-A-A-L and it's pronounced like, you know, bail out water, Baal. Uh, to, uh, uh, to the sun, to the moon, and to the planets and to all the hosts of heaven. The planets Venus and Saturn are mentioned in the Bible. Saturn is called in Amos uh, 526, uh, the star uh, Kawan. And Venus is called uh, the morning star. Saturn and Jupiter both have, have moons and are said that they could possibly harbor life. Wow. All those things are interesting. Mars, yes, it has a name in the Bible. 2 Kings 17.30. Nergal, N-E-R-G-A-L, and it means Mars. And interesting, the last part of the the term, N-E-R-G-A-L, comes from a word that is Gilgal, or Galgal. And you can find that in Strong's Hebrew Dictionary, 1534 and 1535. And it's sort of Chaldean Hebrew. Now, let's just take a break real fast over into the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel comes after the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah comes after the book of Isaiah. And first, let's look at Just a few scriptures here in Ezekiel 1. Chapter 1, verse 4. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself. 
interesting it's called a cloud. They are having incredible happenings all around the world now. These strange kind of clouds that are appearing that are sort of like a metallic, metallic light. And they're seeing unusual things as these clouds are in the skies. It, it is amazing. I saw this one um, video that was very interesting of this cloud. And all of a sudden, bam, it flashed out lightning. So it was just several forks of lightning. And you could see, just if you looked, you could see that at the cloud, at the top of the cloud, beneath the lightning was obviously what they call a UFO, but we call a zith. And some people say, well, why would they be doing that? Because they collect all of this energy, and they finally reach a point that they get so much energy, so much electricity, so much you know, electromagnetic energy, that they have to release it. They get too much for their, for their systems, and they release it as, as lightning. You know, it's interesting, but in Jintao, uh, we were teaching in times past how that the human body sometimes collects too much electricity. And there is a specific way using the hand <coughs> or hands over a person's arms or legs and, and, and you can cause a sweep to happen so that the excessive energy is collected by this sweep and moved out of the body so that it evens out the electricity in the body which too much of this electricity causes all kinds of of not feeling well and and it restricts uh, certain uh, energy flows of the body and it restricts uh, the operation of of a lot of the uh, various hormone releases and it re affects the receptors so this thing of releasing an excess of electricity or electromagnetic energy, depending on what the subject is, is real. And it's very important to know and understand that. So here, let's go. We're chapter 1, Ezekiel. A great cloud and a fire enfolding itself. So now we've got a cloud, we've got this fire enfolding itself in this cloud. Uh, and was about it, and out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. And that, that's like the color of, of, of uh, lightning. Wow. And then it says, out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one of them the had faces, and every one of them had four wings. Now, uh, when you really get down to the main core of the seraphim, cherubim, Seraphim, cherubim, a people. And, and you are, you're, you're talking the seraphim, cherubim, and the ophanim, people. And you add to that the, um, the Enoch offspring from the father's house. We have to understand that they all do have bodies with the likeness of, of human beings. And in the book of, of, of Genesis, it tells about the second chapter of Genesis. It says, let us 
us, and the word was Elohim, let us. And the Elohim means plural of God, so it's God's. Let us make man in our image, our own image, so that the gods, the cherubim, the seraphims, the ophanims, made man to have a similarity, a similitude of the human form that we as humans are in, of which the Bible says we were wonderfully and beautifully made. And so when you see these other creatures that people say, oh, there's, there's these other creatures that are driving these uh, vehicles. Um, I have a lot of questions to some of these people that make some of those statements, but uh, a lot of times they're referring, uh, whether it's a photo uh, transition or, or uh, a photo insight, they are, they are referring to robots. And these robots are not the prime entity. Or they're refer referring to, you know, to, to, to um, a humanoids. And these humanoids are not the prime entity. So they're describing something that is, is not the prime entity, and in many cases, not what the prime entity looks like. So when they start making all these, the, you know, trying to make trying to make, uh, you know, reptiles out of them and dragons out of them, you know, uh, symbolically, as far as the Zams, yes, it, it, it's symbolic, but, it, but, but they're not going around driving looking like a dragon or looking like a Leviathan uh, or looking like uh, a reptilian. And, and, uh, and this is people talking that don't even know what they're talking about. All right. <clears throat> Let's move on. Okay. Now, um, in verse 16, And the appearance of the wheels and their work was likened to the color of burl. And the four had the likeness of their appearance, and their work was, out, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Now, wheel in the middle of a wheel. <coughs> now, the, the word for this, <coughs> excuse me, there are two words for wheel in, in the book of Ezekiel. One is Gilgal or Galgal. That's G-I-L-G-A-L or G-A-L-G-A-L. And that is the physical wheel. And that physical wheel is often explained as a flying object. So it can be considered to be a UFO, a flying saucer, or as we call it, a zith, a flying zith. And that's a wheel. That's a wheel. And then you have inside of that wheel these creatures that wherever the wheel goes, they go. And their name is also called wheel because it uses the name Ophan, which is abbreviation or the singularity or the single uh, word, uh, not plural, of of uh, of ophanim, and the plural be an ophanim for for wheels, and the word ophan means wheel. So that is another spelling and another kind of wheel, and so you got the ophans in the Gelgal. Now the ophans are living creatures, but the Gelgal is not a living creature. It is a spacecraft vehicle, and so you got the wheels inside of the wheel, and so you have the wheel and the wheel. 
and they're traveling through space, the wheel and the wheel. And that's the revelation of the Gilgal. So when in the, in the name, uh, you know, of Mars, you ha have the name Nergal, you are having a statement, not just a name. Just like the name of Jesus Christ. It was a statement. The very, the very name meant Savior anointed or anointed Savior. Jesus Christ, anointed Savior. Reading it from, from the right to the left. Wow. Christ Jesus, anointed Savior. And same thing with this word, Nergal. It's a story about Mars. And it's a story of having been visited by the, the Galgal or the, or the Gilgal. It has been visited by the crafts. And, we're going to, and we, we talked about that last week. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. But there, there's your scripture. Now let's go over to, um, uh, I don't have time to read all this, but let's go over to the 10th chapter of uh, Ezekiel. And if you look in... Uh, Chapter 10, verse 6, it says that it came to pass that when he had commanded the man clothed with linen, saying, Take fire from between the wheels. The word there is Gilgal. Okay? And also, in verse 13, as to wheels, it was cried unto them in my hearing, O wheel, and the word is Gilgal. But, the other terms for wheel that's used in this 10th chapter is ofan for wheel. And or if it says wheels, it's ofanem. And so in the 13th verse, we have as for the wheels, that is ofanem. It was crying unto them in my hearing, O wheel, that is Gilgal. So now we've got the wheel in the middle of the wheel. We've got two different kinds of meaning of the word wheel, although the average person reading this wouldn't know it. But if you take a little time to look up each one of those words and, the, and, and what it actually says, they would see that it's totally different kind of spelling and a totally different kind of definition. So the story of the Ophanims is in the Bible, but under the name Wheels. And the story of the Flying Ziths is in the Bible as a physical vehicle, space vehicle, but under the name wheel or wheels. It's the Gilgals or the Galgals. <clears throat> I'm trying, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm trying to break this down so that you can understand it. <clears throat> Bless be the name of God. Wow. Okay, let's move on. So, when we in chapter 10 have this understanding of Gal, then it gives a greater influence of understanding 
of the Second Kings 1730 word nergal because it incorporates the word gal within that word. Now, that word was also often associated with um, Sherezer. So that it was Nergal and then hyphen Sherezer. Not in every, in every case, but frequently. And the word Sherezer, S-H-E-R-E-Z-E-R or Z-E-R, whether you're UK, Canadian, or, or the English of, uh, of the USA, means Prince of Fire. Prince of Fire. And you can look that up in Strong's 8272. Wow. Very, very important and very interesting. So, we've got um, the use of fire comes in pretty often. There's several things we're going to need to uh, talk about that. But let's go back to, the, to, to Genesis. And um, let's look at something here. And I, I don't want to blow you away on this. And... Um, uh, I've written about these things going way, way back. I noticed there's some other people out there saying it. I don't know if they have copied some of my writings or uh, that has gotten out to different people uh, and they have not supposed to have spoken about it, but some of them have. But, or that's just a revelation they've received themselves. I I, I don't know and I'm, I'm not interested in judging them or or... Whichever way it is, I'm not interested in in, uh, in making any kind of a challenge contest or, or put down about it. Okay, in the book of, of Genesis, all right, um, there's a, um, a very interesting thing. In the third chapter, and let's read from the 22nd verse. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, there is something about the tree of life. It grew out of the ground. It was a physical tree. It had in it the nutrients to elongate, to appreciate life in the physical so that as long as you were taking of that nutrient, you could continue in longevity. And it wasn't God's plan for some of these offspring of, of, of Adam and Eve, such as Cain, <laughs> to have that knowledge. So God ordered there to be something done about it through these, these angels who are the Elohim. Well, if you do a little study of the Bible, you'll find that wherever there's anything that's of a great challenge, that 
Lucifer Satan shows up. And we know that Lucifer Satan took Jesus up on the Mount of Temptation and said, I'll give you all the world of the universe if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, get behind you, Satan. He knew who he was. But just the fact that he did that and had the power to take Jesus up above the, the pinnacle, up to the high of like a mountain, was a sign of the power that Lucifer has and how that it describes it. I believe it's the ninth chapter of Revelations that the key to the bottomless pit has been given to him. And that he is the prince of the power of the air. And so, in many different instances, when there's been something of a prime nature happens, Lucifer Satan shows up. And he makes his story, he makes his claim. Now this was a big thing, this tree of life. And we know it was big because it wasn't just Adam and Eve that had it in their private little garden, but this was in the middle of the garden, which means it divided the east garden from the west garden. And the east garden was the garden, uh, you know, that, that was the good side of the garden. And the west garden was the, the garden that belonged to the serpent people, or the Gihons, one of the four rivers that is actually a genetic river. And so the serpent was there. <laughs> the Gihon was there talking to Eve where the tree of life was, where the tree of good and evil knowledge was, because they were right close together. And this has always been the case and will continue to be the case. Because it's not until the latter part of of the book of Revelations that it describes that finally that Satan is put down and now the kingdoms of this universe, the kingdom of this world, of earth, is now taken back from Satan and given to Christ. So who had it before? Well, obviously, Lucifer Satan. So in the Garden of Eden now, we have that same kind of a thing happen. So there's two cherubim Therefore, the, the Lord sent them forth from the Garden of Eden to tell the ground from where they were taken. There was another place, another land. He drove them out, placed them in the east of the Garden of Eden. There's an east, there's a west. There can't be an east if there's not a west. And he put cherubims. Now there was cherubims, but then he, there was something else that he allowed to go in there. And this Anne, Senadoki, is a whole lot more of a word than anybody would imagine all of the meanings that it defines. And all of the things not said that could be said, if all the things were written that should be written, I suppose the Bible says, the, the closing verse of, of the Gospel of John, that the world itself could not contain it. And there was put the flaming sword turning each way. 
Well, it sort of gave it away when it said turning each and every way. Because that is not the way spirituality works with the good angels. The Bible talks about the way of the tree of life. But that's a one way. But this flaming sword was turning each and every way. Now that's a description of Satan. Sometimes he appears as an angel of light. Sometimes he appears as a demon, a devil. So that flaming sword was a rod. It was a special rod. I described it a little bit last week. I won't have time to get into that to speak of today. A rod that, by the way, got left on the planet Mars when Lucifer Satan took the giants before the flood and moved them to Mars and put them in the underground chambers that's on that planet. And that, that was left when the cherubims came and warred against them and chased them off of the planet and they had to leave and go to, to one of the moons of Saturn. And that was left, and someday it will be discovered. And this is that, is that flame. You know, it's just like when Moses went in and he cast down his rod, the, sir, the, the, the magicians cast down their rod. It's not in this point here that who had the most power or who won, but the point is that I'm making is that both sides, the good side, the bad side, the spiritual side, the non-spiritual side, they had the capability of doing incredible things with rods. And these rods have a meaning. Now that becomes most important when we begin to open up uh, the revelation, as we will here in a little bit, on Nimrod. Nimrod. Because part of, of, of his name is Rod. And just like Nergal, there's more than one meaning involved there in that name. The same thing with Nimrod. He has in his name Rod. And, and, and that particular Rod that he that is referring to is the Rod of Satan. And so there are, are you know, good Rods, there's bad Rods. In Psalms 23, it says, Thy rod and thy staff will comfort me. Well, the rod and the staff are actually the same thing. And they will comfort me. That's the good rod. But you can be for sure that there is the bad rod, and it's mentioned in the Bible in several places, and about how evil and how destructive that it can be. Now, we talked... Last week about, just to re-mention this, because it's sort of interesting, how that the highest mountain in the whole solar system is on Mars. 78,000 feet high. And if it were on Earth, the size of the mountain would cover the whole state of New Mexico. And Mars has systems of canyons, of rift, valleys, of ridges, of hills and plains, and it has all the makings for this underground, huge world 
where Lucifer Satan took the giants. And isn't it interesting that when he brought them back from Saturn, after the flood, because suddenly the name of Nephtalim began to show up again, which were supposed to have been destroyed by the flood. But they didn't all get destroyed by the flood because they weren't all on earth. Because as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field, one taken, the other left. Two at the mill, one taken, one left. Going up into the sky with the angels, the angels taking them. And there's this, and carrying them away to another place. Someone says, now what the angels did, they just, they took and they moved them to another place on earth. Well, obviously that person teaching that doesn't believe in the world flood. And they're going along with, with what the, uh, the geologists and archaeologists say, archaeological-wise. Uh, and they've got it all wrong. Because it's just like, it's, it, it's just like you know, um, when Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls of Jericho came down, and there's been several archaeologists that went in, they said, aha, that cannot be true, because we've checked out the whole, you know, uh, uh, dig, and, and there was never anything showing uh, uh, that, uh, of Jericho's walls that came crashing down. Well, the problem was, is that they were in the wrong time, date, and they were in the wrong place. And there was another Jericho, and that has been found, and it's been proven that, yes, that did happen. And it's the same thing with the flood. The flood is, is like ten to 13,000 years earlier than what they have thought it to be. It, it went all the way back to, to the Ice Age and when it was melting. And so they've based their understanding on what some of the scientists have said instead of what the Bible says. Not understanding the Word of God in the deep of the, of the reality, and they've missed the idea of, of the world flood. Someone says, well, I think there's been a lot of proof. Is that right? Well, even archaeological speaking, they say that it's just a very small percent of what the archaeologists have found. Very small, maybe 5%, maybe 15 or 20. Very small, probably along the line of, the, of 5%. So they haven't even begun to find everything that the earth can say and that the earth can speak. They're just beginning to have the instrumentation to really make the best analogies. Now, we mentioned last week about Mars being one of seven classical planets after which the days of the Earth Week were named. Now, those planets included the sun and the moon. Now, some will say, well, those aren't planets. Well, the ancient people thought they were. And there's even a major religion, and I'm not going to name it, that teaches, or that did teach way back in an early time that eventually mankind would live on the sun because they thought even back then in that time that the sun was a planet. The early ancients thought that also that these these spheres, these 
like the sun and the moon, that they were, they were stars because they shone. So they were called stars. They were called planets. And I use the language from the ancient time, but we're actually talking five classical planets in the sense of real planets and the moon and the sun. And so Sunday comes from the planet, not pardon me, in the sense of modern times, but in the sense of ancient thought, or comes from the sun. So it's Sunday. And we said that the, the day that Mars was um, named after is Tuesday. And that turned out to be very, very important as we got into the deep of the names. And I'm just trying to remind you of this because, you know, it's a big, deep subject. Okay, i got to really move. I'm going to miss a lot of stuff. Okay, so there's all kinds of other names. I, I really better not take the time to, to, uh, to mention all these different kinds of names that Mars is called. Some of them are, you know, uh, Babylonian, Chaldean. Some are Hebrew, uh, Akkadian, Sumerian, Egyptian, and, and so forth. Um, We've got to move on. Then there's all kinds of, of names mentioned in the Bible, you know, uh, describing Arturus and Orion, uh, like, uh, like uh, Kama and, and Kizil, uh, rendered in the Volcate as Ast uh, Arturus and Orion. And uh, then the, the Pleiades, Orion, the Hades, Venus, uh, uh, you know, all other kinds of names are mentioned. And then, of course, in the general sense, in Genesis 1, 1, God made the heavens, planets, and so forth. The worlds uh, were uh, framed by the word of God in Hebrews 11, 3. Uh, so Hebrews 11, 1 talks about faith as the substance of which the earth and the world was formed. So all of these things that exist on the earth and that exist in, in the galaxy or the solar, uh, you know, uh, uh, plexus of our, our uh, world, um, they all belong uh, to an understanding of being revealed in the Bible under the name, if not singularly, under the name uh, pluralistically of the generality desc describing, you know, uh, the, the solar planets uh, of, of, of the a world in which we live, and and of the sun, and and the and the universe we live. Okay, now I talked just briefly about Nimrod, uh, maybe a little more than briefly, and um, the Dark Dawn, and these were followers of uh, of the Lord uh, Bilzeba, the Lord of the Flyers. Not uh, we don't say flies, but we say flyers. These who flew in Zams. And they were uh, princes of the air. And someone says, well, is there any Bible for that? Yes, there is. But, you know, I, I can't take the time to tell every single solitary thing. Uh, I got a letter here from uh, a, a lady who's a, you know, a wonderful follower of, of us. And she says, you know, in one, in one teaching, you talked about... Um, she says that uh, the disciples went out and they got money out of the fish. And in another place, she taught that they um, that that word 
uh, go get it from the fish was a code uh, of go and get the money from Mary Magdalene. And so I wrote and explained, yeah, both of those are true. Because uh, at that day, the, the city where the, the, her, the fish factory of Mary Magdalene was, uh, was the largest, uh, um, you know, beach and, and uh, uh, landing place uh, of any of the cities that's, uh, that were around the, uh, the, the uh, Lake of Galilee. And um, and and often the, the the boats, the ships of of the disciples were parked there, and because that's where they sold their fish was to Mary Magdalene, who was in that that business of taking those fish and treating them a certain way and selling them all over Israel and even out to other nations, and um, how that uh, there was a place uh, that uh, was designated where Mary Magdalene hid the coins, the money of that time, in the fish as, as, as a hiding place, uh, you know, because there was, there was thieves everywhere, and they would steal everything they could. And, and so uh, she would, you know, put a, a, maybe a kind of a fish that no one would really want to eat, and they would just leave it. Uh, like in our time, there's a lot of people that wouldn't want to eat a carp. And so let's just say it wasn't a carp, but they choose a fish that's just, oh, that's, that's a bottom eater. We don't want that or whatever. And, and, they, and then uh, she had different, different customers, but most of them didn't have that real exclusive private trust as the disciples did. And so, but however, their particular fish had a certain string tied around it to hold it. And, and uh, that meant that was the fish that had money that had been equated to belong to them. And Jesus was st simply saying, you know, without, he didn't want to name Mary Magdalene, didn't want it to be known she was associated, you know, in that way. And because it might ruin her business with, with some of these other people she was involved with. And so he, he gave him the code, go and take it from the fish. Uh, but it, that was the code for Mary Magdalene's place. And that was where their ships were parked anyway. And they knew to go and get it from the fish that had money that was belonging to their credit of fish they had sold to her but not yet been paid for. Okay, so much for that. So we see that in a, in a teaching that's not long, I only have a certain amount of time. So a lot of times I sort of abbreviate things, but eventually I come back or someone asks a question, I then explain what it is. So don't jump the gun and say, oh, that can't be right and that's wrong because I can only give a partial and and um but eventually i will get it to it all and get it covered lord willing okay let's move on so we got nimrod and uh and uh you know um uh his uh, father was baal <laughs> uh in the bible it says cush but i mean uh that's just another name uh because it was shown that there was also the name b-e-l bell and there were different names that his father was called. It's called Baal, called called Cush, uh, uh, you know, called um, uh, uh, Bell. And so, uh, and and at one time, um, uh, Nimrod was a king uh, of 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 uh, and uh, you can find that in the Bible. I don't have time to give you the scripture, but he was a king, and he was the grandson of Ham. Uh, who was the son of Noah. 
and he started his kingdom in Babylon. And um, he lived just after the flood, and he was involved in building the Tower of Babel, you know. And so that's very interesting. The word Babel means confusion of, of languages, and it later became a confusion. Now, there's a whole story, uh, and we tell some of this in our um, teaching of Eid uh, that we, we do in, in the blog systems. You might want to go read that sometime. That is an incredible teaching. Um, and uh, they were aware of much uh, oral uh, information, and uh, and Nimrod, uh, as I said, uh, the rod word uh, incorporated the staff of Satan, as we described it in Genesis uh, 23 through 24, and uh, that's uh, I think well worth uh, looking at. Um, if I was to get into um, a little deeper on this thing of it, uh, I would get into the uh, uh, this uh, 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 Caduceus poll. Uh, which is the um, uh, the rod of Asclif, Asclif uh, which is um, um, actually pronounced uh, uh, as uh, Clepi. And uh, the Asclepi rod and the uh, Caduceus pole uh, is uh, what you see the medical people using uh, and represents the uh, Hippocratic uh, oath that they take as as uh, doctors, and so the, it, it's sort of like a medical uh, serpent. But you know, they they show a single serpent on that pole, but it is all wrong. It is not what the Bible actually ever said. And uh, you know, uh, my I don't know if I, I let me do it real fast. Uh, turn to Numbers twenty-one, and. Uh, let me read something there that is so extremely interesting. A lot, a lot of you people, have, uh, there's a lot of you out there that have heard this teaching, and God bless you. It's not going to hurt you to hear it again. There's always new things come up that are well worth knowing. And in, in um, uh, Numbers 21, it tells about in verse 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people died. Okay? Um, now, that particular kind of serpent is one kind of serpent, even though it's a fiery serpent. Remember, you got Satan being described as this fiery flaming sword, a rod. And then it says, Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned, we've spoken against the Lord and against thee. Uh, pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent. Now, this particular fiery serpent is different. And, 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 and it is actually talking about a seraph, which is standing for a seraphim, a seraphim, which is one of the good angels. And you can look that up in Strong's Concordance 8314, okay? And then it says, and take this uh, fiery serpent, the seraphim serpent, which is an angel, and set it upon the pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Now, 
you just think about how stupid it would be. Now take uh, take one of the uh, and make a mold of the serpents that have been biting people and that have been killing them. Put that up on the rod, you know, so we can give it grandeur and 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 m majestic appearance, and and they can sort of you know uh, think how great that that serpent really is, and and then uh, you know they'll be healed. Uh, God isn't going to give credit to 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 death. He isn't going to give credit, you know. Uh, he said with death, you know, where is your sting? <laughs> uh, he's not going to give credit to those things. But he he was talking about this seraph, this seraphim angel. And so then there's another a uh, serpent that's put on there. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that a serpent had bitten any man. When he beheld the serpent of the brass, he lived. That's verse 9. But verse 8 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it also upon the pole. Or I add the word also. But it upon the pole because it is in addition. And it shall come to pass every man that that is bitten when he looked upon it shall live. And so Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon the pole. And it came to pass, if anyone, as I said, they saw that, they lived. Now, when it says, uh, it came to pass that the, uh, uh, they set up on the pole, it came to pass that, it, that if a serpent had bitten any man, and when you look up that serpent, it's a different word. And you can find that on your Strong's 5175. And so it actually comes from the, the root Nahash, which is which is an actual literal uh, serpent, the one that was biting the people. So you have two kinds of, of of serpent descriptions here. One is a seraph, which is a seraphim angel. It goes at the top. The other is the um, the the serpent, which is the Nahash, uh, which is a physical actual serpent. And so the way it really works, uh, which is really prophesied in Genesis. Uh, you know, and it's really beautiful. It's at the top of the pole. This angel was put, and and uh, and it had his foot uh, crushing down on the head of the Nahash serpent, which was the bad serpent that was bruising the people and and uh, killing the people. And when when you look in um, uh, chapter three of Genesis, and you read fifteen, when God is talking to. Um, when, when God is talking to um, uh, you know Eve, and he says in verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt... Thou shalt uh, uh, and thou shalt uh, bruise its heel. Okay, it shall, br um, let's read that again. And between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy, thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So so here you can see within that, you know, uh, this this story uh, of, of, of the enmity between the, the, the woman or the, uh, the offspring of, of Adam uh, seed uh, people and, and uh, the, the serpent and the difference between the two. And that's what you're seeing here being portrayed in, in this story uh, in uh, the book of uh, Numbers. Okay, now, uh, if you can believe it, I'm starting to run out of time. And that is so incredibly sad because I haven't even begun to get into the new revelation. Let me just tell you just briefly here of something to expect next week. I'm going to show you the most amazing thing. I'm going to show you, there, there was a recent thing that came out on um, uh, the, um, 
discovery, uh, you know, um, video, our discovery science. Uh, they have shows uh, on, on the uh, Internet. And uh, they do this thing about the planet Earth. And they, there's a story of these people that uh, came across what they feel is uh, a, a actual living kind of mermaid type of people. Uh, mermaid represents the ladies. Uh, merman represents the man. And merfolks represent them as groups. And that these people lived in secrecy and they were very much involved with... Um, with uh, you know uh, 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 these uh, special uh, kind of of, uh, of of other fish type uh, creatures, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get into the detail of this, and I'm gonna show you uh, a, a revelation from the Holy Manifest that talks about going way back in time, how that there was these creatures called they were creatures called the the Morans creatures. And and uh, they had an aspect of human side to them and an aspect of fish. And I'm going to show you that, that this is Bible, that there's Bible in there that talks about Dagon. And Dagon is, is this, this deity, uh, this idol deity that's part man and part fish. And how that Dagon is the second most powerful uh, idol of all the idols. It's, it's, it's only second to El. And El is, of course, taken from the name Elohim. And, of course, just as Lucifer took and stole the name Bright and Morning Star so that there's two Bright and Morning Stars in the Bible, he also stood the, stole the name El because, technically, he is an Elohim also. And, and El, E-L, is the first part of that. So he took um, that name, and that is the highest name of the the world of blasphemy. That is the highest name of the underworld, of the world of Satan, of the seat of Satan. But next to it is Dagon. And, and Dagon <laughs> is the father of Baal. Is the father of Baal. And uh, Baal, of course, is, is the father of, of Nimrod. And we're going to get into this whole story. You just almost will be shocked. You will truly be shocked when you begin to hear this teaching. I thought I would have time to get into it today, but I just ran out. But next week, Lord Welling, God bless you. God, just bless you. And may the power of the Holy Spirit come right now, this instant. May it reach out across these voice waves. And may it reach into your lives and into your bodies. And whatever ailment it is you have, whatever force of darkness that is cheating you of, of the victory of peace and happiness, I adjure that force to leave you this instant. I command it to be gone from your presence. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, in the name of Jesus. And I ask God to heal you and just love you more and more and more. God bless you. Until next time. Amen.